0: Kick it! Welcome to Best Picture This, where it is occasionally Oscar season. I'm Mike.
1: And I'm Brian. In this show, we reevaluate every Best Picture nominee from the 21st century and decide whether to keep it or kick it from its Oscar pedestal.
0: But today instead, a rehearsal. Brian and I will be recording ourselves practicing a conversation about another film from the BFI <laughs> Sight & Sound poll, partly for your enjoyment and partly to emotionally prepare ourselves for what it might be like to really... Have that conversation.
1: That's how you get in the mood.
0: <laughs> the movie is in the mood for love. The director is Wong Kar Wai.
1: So the summary, I'll, I'll give it a shot here. I mm-hmm. think I stole this from Wikipedia again, uh, or partly. In 1962, which I never really understood why 1962 was that important. I mean, there's like a little bit of current events later on, you know, a little news flash, But mm-hmm. for the most part, I also recently um, watched Days of Wild. <laughs> No, is that right? Uh, I'll look at that up. one. It's it's this is part of a trilogy from um Wong Kar-wai. Oh, okay. And it they're very loosely a trilogy. It's sort of like Spiritual. just thematically mm-hmm. um but that is also set in the 60s. Okay. And there's kind of like yeah, it's period in a way because there's like more smoking than there is now. <laughs> you know. Yeah, yeah. And they are they're wearing like clothes that are maybe don't seem like today, but it doesn't seem like it's that important that it's 1962 in either movie to me, but Anyway, it's 1962. There's a Mrs. Chan and a Mr. Chow. Mm -hmm. And they happen to rent adjacent apartments. Their spouses, which I really don't like that word, but it's very convenient for this movie. Their spouses- Is that a bad word? I I, I just don't like it. It just sounds weird coming out of my mouth. (laughs) Okay. The, The spouses are always away and they start to think that maybe their spouses are having affairs. And then they come together and realize that their spouses are having affairs an affair with each other. Yes. So they start to spend time. It's very platonic, but there, there always seems to be this tension. And um, so they look like they're about to have an affair themselves, but it just never quite comes together for various reasons. And, you know, it ends on a sad note of longing and maybe regret, but certainly unfulfillment and sorrow.
0: Yeah, and maybe if it wasn't set in the 60s, there would be more of a question of like, oh, why don't they just do it all? Yeah, right? yeah, maybe the but,
1: social the social pressure was a little more you know, obvious then than it is now. I think that's part of it at least. It could yeah. be. Um, but it would be even more in like 1940 or 1920 or mm-hmm. 1860. Yeah. Um, so anyway, Mr. Chow ends up transferring to Singapore and just never works out. So this movie... Um, premiered at the Cannes Film Festival in 2000, and I did not see any um, accounts of standing ovations. What? Sadly. Then uh, why
0: is it on the list? <laughs> how are, we, um, how are it, we supposed to know that it's good without the ovations? <laughs>
1: it was nominated for the Palme d'Or, which is their top, top movie. Um, uh, the actor who played Mr. Chow um, won Best Actor, the first Hong Kong actor to win, the, win that award. This movie is. Been on lots of top best of lists. Um, 2016, it was number two of all time by the BBC. Hmm. You know what number one was? The 2016 BBC poll? Uh, Mulholland Drive. Mulholland Drive, Drive, you're right. Nice. Um, And lots and lots of other big time polls. Um, It was in the Sight and Sound, which is why we're doing it. It was uh, number five on the critics poll and it was number nine on the director's poll. Mm -hmm. So it was pretty, pretty high up there. Uh, Peter Travers said this, In the hands of a hack, in the mood for love could have been a snickering sex farce. In the hands of Wong Kar-wai, this film is alive with delicacy and feeling.
0: He's right, that's true, but he's kind of describing a totally different movie. If it was a wild sex farce, this movie is all <laughs> about restraint and wanting something is, you can't yeah. have. and. um Yeah, so I'm not sure that's a very fair (laughs) (laughs) comparison. Sofia Coppola
1: um, said this was a big inspiration for her in Lost in Translation. Mm,
0: I could see that. Um, So we have a
1: few questions, and then uh, we wrap it up.
0: Okay, so there is a lot of food in In the Mood for Love. There is. There's a lot of stops at the noodle shop, Mm -hmm. scenes at dinner, dinner in restaurants, dinner in bedrooms, conversations over dinner in Mm -hmm. apartments, conversations about dinner and what our spouses eat, and if emulating that can get us closer to them somehow. Mm -hmm. What do you think that's all about? Is there meaning to all of the eating in this movie? Um,
1: Well, I think that it is partly a function of the everyday mundane things that we go through, the kind of rhythms, you know, you're going from meal to meal. um, And it's just kind of like, it's a convenient uh, meeting place, lots of conversations happening.
0: I think it's also because these are characters who are uh, perpetually hungry emotionally, you know, Mm -hmm. that they they sort of are left to the side by their spouses, that disgusting word that you brought up before. (laughs) (laughs) And this is kind of the closest they can get to feeling emotionally full. They never consummate their marriage. So kind of eating together is like the closest they can get to sleeping together in mm-hmm. a way. That's sort of how I saw it. Yeah, I could see that. I think that that's one of
1: the masterful things about this movie is how all these kind of um, repeated elements, mm-hmm. they do kind of all suggest the theme. I didn't really think of that in your, but but you kind of trust the director. Yeah. Like all of the super slow-mo um, smoke wafting up it's mm-hmm. like, it, you know, that's kind of like representing the, like the desire and, you know, the, this kind of heat in this relationship. And there's so many things like that. Like there's a lot of scenes with rain. There's a lot of, um, you know, red, there's a lot of black, there's a lot of, um, narrow, you know, hallways that make it feel kind of cramped, mm-hmm. you know, and there's a lot of like pressure on these, uh, you know, to kind of keep it, keep everything hidden. And, Wong Kar Wai just keeps repeating all these images in different ways. There's a lot of mirrors, a lot of windows. Um, like, you know, we're getting like a look into this, come into this relationship. Um, so yeah, I, I think, I think that, um, in, in some ways I would, I, th- I think some directors would maybe those things would get kind of old, but I f- I feel like as the movie went on, I, I I was finding myself trusting the director more and more that these were all on purpose. And again, with a lot of these, the better the best movies that that you see it's like I think this would be interesting to rewatch, looking for those kind of elements and seeing how they they put this thing together
0: yeah yeah it's it's such a great looking yeah. movie, and th- surprisingly so really, like why it,
1: because in some ways it doesn't it's like where what are the sets staircase oh, yeah, yeah. staircases, boring apartments that dingy old apartment yeah it's and- like it's like a really boring place to shoot a movie, yeah, but yet. They make it look so great and and um, all, a lot of the angles are interesting. a lot of the focus is interesting. Um,
0: so much of the beauty in this movie, I think plays in contrast to the mood of these characters. The beauty almost betrays the characters in a way mm-hmm. because you have you have a world full of warmth, like you were saying and and lush colors, rich red walls and very colorful dresses and then you have these two characters who are like ghosts that drift through the scenes yeah. and like make no connections with anybody and the eating motif i think just kind of speaks to that yearning and there's just so much that he accomplishes with with so little you know we understand everything that we need to know about these about these two characters' marriages, by the way that they interact with their spouses, because we almost never see the I spouses don't, in those interactions.
1: I don't think we ever do? I think we see like the back of the one head. We see the backs of, of them wife. a couple times, yeah.
0: but a lot of times, the the character that we know that we care about mm-hmm. is talking to their spouse from like just outside of a doorway. So when we see them, they're framed by maybe that doorway or maybe by a window, but they're alone in that frame, and mm-hmm. that that loneliness is kind of like it's just hammered home over and over again in so many different ways. Like you're saying. Yeah.
1: It's like the, 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 the spouses are literally absent from the movie. Mm -hmm. Um, just like they're away from them. Um, it kind of made me wonder, like, what are we supposed to think about these spouses? Are we supposed to dislike them? I mean, there's a, there's a point where, um, the, the Mr. Mr. Chow and Mrs. Chan are kind of, they're talking about how these emotions, they're kind of comparing themselves to their spouses. Like, what would I do in this situation? You know, let's act it out. But also, are we doing what they're doing? They're kind of like asking themselves this moral question. Um, and I think that's why Mrs. Chan, Mrs. Chan won't go all the way with him because he, she doesn't want to be just like them. Um, but I just wondered what you what what do you think the impact is of not ever really seeing them
0: well it definitely makes us side with these two characters for sure um which you know you should if they're the only two on screen but are we supposed to dislike their spouses I think yes um, especially because there's a lot of conversations where um, kind of ancillary characters say stuff like oh, you know yeah she's not She's not here right now. What she didn't tell you that she wasn't gonna be here now, and then the husband has to say, Oh no, she she kind of forgets to tell yeah, me these things. A lot, a lot. of lying and yeah, Make,
1: making them look bad because they didn't know. As yeah,
0: well. he highlights multiple times that that, that there's just kind of no connection here. Um And to be having an affair with someone right across the hall, like yeah. the balls <laughs> on these people. <laughs> so uh, I, I think that it's pretty clear that we are supposed to dislike them. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, the movie shows that when you open yourself up in a certain way to people, then... You know, feelings can creep in. I think that yeah. he even says that at some point. You know, before you know it, feelings emerge or something. Yeah. But you have to go through those motions first.
1: Juan Carr Weiss said in an interview to LA Weekly the role of Tony, which is Mr. Chow in the film, reminds me of Jimmy Stewart in Vertigo, Jimmy Stewart's role. Mm-hmm. There's a dark side to the character. He said, I think it's very interesting that most of the audience prefers to think that this is a very innocent relationship. These are good guys because their spouses are the first ones to be unfaithful, and they refuse to be. Nobody sees any darkness in these characters, and yet they're meeting in secret to act out fictitious scenarios of confronting their spouses and of having an affair. I think this happens because the face of Tony Leung, which is the actor playing um, Mr. Chow, is so sympathetic. Just like He said, just imagine if John Malkovich were playing this role. (laughs) You would think, this guy is really weird it's the same in vertigo. Everybody thinks James Stewart is a nice guy. So nobody thinks this character is actually very sick. Unquote. So long quote, but I thought that was pretty interesting insight into his own movie. Um, yeah, like they're likable partly because maybe they're both very good looking people, Mm -hmm. you know, they seem like they're, I don't know, but, but yet they are kind of, in a way they're also cheating on their own spouses and they're not confronting it and, so anyway, I thought that was interesting. He said that he sees like a dark side to the, to the character.
0: I definitely think there there is a dark side, but it, it's complicated because they're the victims, and you know yeah. they were the ones who, who something was was done to them first. So they're the ones who are hurt and who are left alone, and so their actions, even if they are dysfunctional, are kind of from a place of trying to cope with that rejection and that grief in a yeah. way, where they're. I mean, we don't know, I guess we didn't see their relationship before this affair started. So, I mean, they both might've been neglectful to their, their spouses also.
1: That's also what's really interesting because, you know, the director has to make a choice of the beginning, middle and end of the story. And they're, um, you know, because just like we don't see their spouses at all, we don't know what their relationships are like. It's just, we're getting a very selective look here. Um, uh, something else about the style I thought was interesting is um, the music, for one. You know, you get these, you get this Nat King Cole in Spanish, mm-hmm. singing in Spanish. And then there's another, some other kind of like, like a waltz. S- or sad violins with a waltz on mm-hmm. top of it. Yeah. It's kind of interesting. And they, they kind of repeat each other. And that's another one where I thought, okay, Juan Caruay is doing something with this music. Um, and I wasn't entirely sure. I have a, I have kind of a clue, but, um, One thing I also really liked about the style, the shooting was the, when they're, when, when, um, you know, the Mr. Chow and Mrs. Chan are sitting at the restaurant kind of the first time and they're discovering about their spouses, there's these weird pans going back and forth. Like when they, Mm -hmm. when they, when they, you know, the conversation, it's like a slow pan and then it's a quick pan back and forth. It's very disorienting, uh, unusual, but it, Again, it's like how the form is like contributing to the meaning of the story and like showing how big of a revelation this is, and how yeah you know they're they're really trying to understand what each other knows and and who who knows what first mm-hmm. so I thought that again, it's an example of the cinematography and the directing really. It's very sophisticated.
0: Uh, up till that point, I don't think the camera moves. I could be wrong about that, but if it does move, it's very slow. Mm-hmm. You know, it might just be in zooms or slowly going down a hallway or something. So that that moment does stick out a lot because yeah. it's such a... It, if the camera moves before that moment, it's very graceful. And that moment is jarring. You know, mm-hmm. it's kind of a really quick pen left, pen right. yeah, And the rest is is so kind of... It drifts along and it's kind of pretty and he drops that in that moment and and it sticks out i mean you have to wonder why the
1: prettiness of it is also kind of interesting where the camera lingers so long on mrs chan's torso like you see a lot of pans going from her knees all the way up to her face like you're and in some shots like you just see like her hips moving around you know into in and out of the of the scene and things like that it's, it's repeated multiple times. And I just, I kind of also wondered that we wondered about that. Like we're sort of being part of the, you know, we're, we're being kind of complicit in a way in, um,
0: a voyeurism type of type yeah. Of I
1: think, I think that's kind of what, it, what's going on there. I mean, just like Mr. Chow is kind of like, he's trying to like not check out his neighbor, not, you know, he knows that this is this pretty woman who lives next door, but yet it's almost unavoidable in a way, um, that he's going to notice her. And, his friend, you know, at the bar kind of says that, like, um, how do you live next to this beautiful woman or something to that effect?
0: <laughs> that friend. Yeah. That was the one character, right? <laughs> I, I was kind of thinking the whole time, would he be friends with this guy? Yeah, I know. It seems a little odd, right?
1: Here, give me 30 bucks because <laughs> I just went to a prostitute and I, I need to pay her back. I like, signed a, uh, really? an
0: IOU. I'm going to, why am I paying for this? <laughs> He's like I I got to keep 10 for myself though. You can have all the rest of my money. <laughs>
1: and let's go let's go get somebody yeah. <laughs> with your money that you just let me.
0: So, I'm starting to sound like a broken record, but this is another movie in the tight 90 club. It is. I think it was 98. 98 yeah. Um, so you know I love that, but mm-hmm. only because Wonkar Kar does so much with so little here. So we were kind of already talking about the framing of those conversations with the spouses and how we only see one side of the interaction and how a lot of the times the characters that we are following are kind of in boxes Mm -hmm. all by themselves. Was there anything else that stuck out for you as kind of moments of, um, if you want to call that minimalism, but where, you know, we're seeing that cinematic shorthand and learning a lot about the characters, about this world, but not really being told?
1: Well, I thought one of the really interesting things was the, um, you'd see some shots where, like, the two of them are in an alleyway, Mm -hmm. and then there's a shot where just one of them is standing there. And um, I saw, this is in, you know, his other, one of his other movies that I saw, where you see a lot of a conversation just looking at one person, not at the other person. So I think in some ways, that's kind of amplifying the the loneliness of these of these characters. Um, yeah, just the whole—I th- I don't know—it's it, it's another movie where every shot seems to be worthy of like let's pause this and think about why he's <laughs> doing it because everything seems to be very on purpose.
0: Yeah, but also indirect in a way, you know, because there's never really those loud, dramatic scenes where someone mm-hmm. has dialogue explaining what the conflict is or why they're mad or what they're mad about. Um, all the important stuff happens in between the lines. I mean, even the, these rehearsals that they do, You know, we're, we're going to try to sort of act like our spouses going through the motions of starting up an affair so that we can understand that in some sick way. And then that's kind of like partly to get back at them, but then partly to get closer to them. At the same yeah. at the same time, but it's always at an arm's distance because they're not actually connecting to each other in any real way, and they're not connecting with their spouses yeah. either.
1: Yeah, it's a very strange relationship, and how it it seems to increase their own intimacy with each other mm-hmm. while they are practicing how they're gonna, you know, take this bad news from their spouses. Especially but they have Mrs. this Chan. buffer
0: between them the whole time. You know, they they, they sort of want that connection with each other, but they put this filter in between of like, well, we're just using each other to kind of understand the motivations of the ones that we love. So I'm going to
1: give a possibly golden take, but also possibly be completely wrong about this (laughs) because it might just be that I misinterpreted the movie. Okay. But as I was watching, again, it might be because we just watched Persona Mm -hmm. and Eight and a Half, you know, very strange trippy fantasy you know you can't tell what's real and what's not after watching those movies and then watching this i was really drawn my attention was really drawn to the repeated scenes that happened at least a couple different times so one example is when they are parting after getting dinner i think it's for the first time and they're starting this rehearsal thing that's not what my husband would say it's what what Mrs., mrs chan says and then, without really any explanation, mm. there's a cut, and then he's asking it again. And at first, she's like cold, turns away, seems like she's upset with him. And then, you know, it's a, you know, based, kind of a strange edit where it cuts again. He, he repeats the line, and this time she cries. And then there's another one where um, the scene repeats where. Uh, Mr. Chow, I think it's, I think Chow is the man and Chan's the woman. I'm pretty sure. But Mr. That's how I've been doing it. So I'm going to stick with it. I'm sorry (laughs) if I got that wrong. Um, but then, um, Mr. Chow tells her in the alleyway, I'm going to go to Singapore. Um, I'm saying goodbye. And they're both, she sad, but they're both like totally stoic, no emotion whatsoever then the camera angle seems to shift and we see the same scene happening but this time like we see like their hands kind of touch and she is breaking down inconsolable yeah. sobbing it's one of the best moments of it the is. movie it is i mean there's oh, there's a lot of great ones so good but when because those two things happen it made me question somewhat about the reality the facts of the movie again just like i did with the other two that we just that i just mentioned mm-hmm. and i'm wondering like is Mr. Chow, like, is this like a fantasy that he wishes she would have reacted like this? Hmm. Or, I mean, the fact that they're rehearsing it and then the second time it's different, I don't think it's that clear that, oh, this was just another rehearsal. Like, let's try it again, but, you know, maybe that's all it is. And, and so in that case, I'm, I'm wrong about this. But I kind of wondered if there is like, from that break, like some of this is fantasy about what he kind of wishes would happen. Which leads me to toward the end of the movie where, again, in the summaries, and I read a couple different summaries because I was like, wait, is that really what happened? Because that's not what I got out of it. When he's in Singapore, she shows up at his apartment.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: She, he sees a, re- a cigarette with lipstick on it. Yeah. And so you're like, okay, hey, maybe she was there. And then you see a scene of her in the apartment. Yeah. And I think they're out of order chronologically. Mm-hmm. Like he sees the cigarette first and then you see her there. Yeah. And it's got this weird haze on it, like you're looking through a window. And I'm like, is he fantasizing, wishing she were there? And, you know, they never actually meet up. And so I wasn't really sure what the reality of it was. According to the summary, he's like, yeah, he, he, she visited the apartment, but they just never crossed paths. And then later in the movie, he goes back to their original apartment and um, she's living in the, you know, next door with her son, but she never... He never crosses paths with her again. So it's just a lot of missed opportunity. And yeah. then, you know, kind of goes from there. But I don't know if I'm like way off base, like you were with Taxi Driver.
0: You know? <laughs> Do you remember, remember that? Yeah, that well, I, I remember. Yeah, <laughs> it was dead on. I, I stick with it. So what? how did you
1: react to those like repeated cuts like that?
0: Yeah, um, to me, I think I just took it more as hammering home this idea that these characters are kind of unable to give themselves an authentic experience and they're just withholding connection to each other out of either fear of losing their spouse or fear of becoming um, you know a cheater becoming as low in their minds as their spouse sunk um, you know for some kind of betrayal and so they kind of keep doing these rehearsals which don't give them... It's almost like a moth to the flame. Like we want to understand where this all comes from and we want to experience sort of new love as a way of maybe revenge or maybe just starting over. But every time we get too close, it's like too scary and we get burned and we realize, oh, we don't want that. And it's a good thing that we have this layer of authenticity in these rehearsals in between us so that it's easier to detach. Mm -hmm. That's how I was taking it. But I, I do love the way that he... The way that he edits all those scenes together, yeah, and you kind of forget about it toward the end, and you're in you're in the emotional depth of that one scene where they're leaving, and then you realize, oh, this was actually another rehearsal, and he's saying, "Don't cry, this is you know, it's not real, it's just a rehearsal." Right. And man, that that's like a that's really powerful. It is,
1: yeah. Um, I I kind of wondered again once you know that there's certain themes, then you look back and try to interpret them through that lens. Which I think it's like, you know, art is teaching you how to interpret it. Um, yeah. Which I think is really, uh, really, again, it's very sophisticated. But the second chance idea, like, are, is there a way to start over on a new love like this, or can we not? But, and while, while they're contemplating that, they're actually getting second chances at these rehearsals and trying a different way. Maybe respond like this. Maybe that was too cold. And you, you know, you wouldn't, he wouldn't really say it like that.
0: It's just a form of distraction, though, by by diving so deep into this, uh, you know, staging a play, basically. Yeah. What are they actually doing? They're not getting to know each other any better. They're just teaching each other about their own respective spouses, mm. who they're maybe trying to forget or maybe trying to get closer to. It's a yeah. really interesting balance, but I definitely didn't think that, that it was fantasy because yeah. the ending we're kind of at this uh is it like a Buddhist temple it's called anger Wat it's a
1: yeah it's like a religious it's site. a site
0: it's a site where that you know at one point was pristine and glorious and mm-hmm. amazing but now it's very aged and rusted and crumbling and old and the camera takes a lot of time kind of yeah. studying the 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 kind of decayed beauty of this place and how I don't know. The original meaning of that structure has changed, and it's kind of become an artifact of history now. Just like their relationship, there's there's some kind of title card that says something like, um, "That era is over, and everything that every opportunity that it contained is now dead," mm-hmm. or something along those lines. And then we move into this into this sort of visual representation of, um, I don't know, a physical piece of history. Mm-hmm. And I think that memory is is like that. Also,
1: one of the one of the working titles was secrets, which was seen as not very distinctive and bad title, but it's
0: I like in the mood for love. Partly,
1: partly what it's talking about. But I also Um, love that he
0: whispers the secret into into the hole. So that is good.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Um, What else? I have a few uh, production notes here that are kind of interesting. Okay. Um, So Wong Kar Wai is he's known for being spontaneous just like Amar Bergman is like, Hey, go do this. And then we're going to film you and we'll figure it out later what it all means. That's kind of similar to his attitude. Um, he had a, he had a cinematographer, Christopher Doyle, who also is all about a jazz like spontaneity. Um, they took 15 months
0: to shoot this movie. Wow.
1: 15 months. It's usually like 30 to 50 days, (laughs) you know, for most movies that you see in Hollywood. It took 15 months.
0: And they were still able to edit it down to 90 minutes. I know, 98 <laughs> minutes.
1: Um, so it's set in Hong Kong, but they ended up um, doing a lot of it in less modernized neighborhoods of Bangkok. And they did a lot of shooting in like hotel scenes and things like that. But I thought that was interesting because the world of this movie looks very convincing. Like, oh, yeah, I don't yeah, really yeah. think of it as being like, Oh yeah this is from 40 years or 40 years earlier mm-hmm. when it was set um it just it feels like they must have found a place to look just like this because it looks all very legitimate
0: and i wonder too if they did something um in in posts with some of the coloring looks it almost looks like technicolor or something in in some parts where they're they're coming out of a taxi cab and the top half of it is red and man Mm -hmm. it's just the brightest richest red that you can have on screen just like a lot of her dresses you know the bright greens and the deep golds i mean it's it it has that technicolor feel of almost being painted almost being too bright to be real
1: that's how it is in that the first movie in this so-called trilogy it's called it's called days of being wilds from 1990. Um, there's a lot of color, you know, looks like a lot of color production on it as well. So I think that's kind of a theme that he has. Um, so the cinematographer again, his name is Christopher Doyle. He had, this is the sixth movie that he did with them. He kind of had to bail because 15 months is a long time mm-hmm. and they have ended up, you know, switching. Um, but they're both uh, Mark Lee ping bin is the other, um, cinematographer and they both got credit. Um, but, but in the end, again, Wong Kar Wai kind of like used that to his advantage. They have different styles. He just like took what he wanted from both of those and just blended them into the best that he, mm-hmm. best that he could. And so I, I wonder, it, it seems like maybe the movie even benefits from that. Like having multiple cinematographers work on it. I don't know. Um, uh, but critic Todd Tony Raines on the other hand, noted in a commentary on whether they really, you know, that really worked out. So, anyway, I thought that was interesting. The 15 month
0: yeah, struggle—that's a, a slog. <laughs> so, right, so we have reached the end of our five. We have. Should we rank them? Um, have you thought about? I haven't the ranking? really thought about the ranking,
1: but I could tell you off the top it's of my head. Five, right? It's only five. It's only five. Yeah, I'll tell it.
0: you. Well, I'm with gonna yours. I'm gonna start with an easy one. Yeah, my number five. Jean Dealman, and it and it's a it's an easy five. <laughs> I hate to say it, but it's an easy five. Yeah. Uh, then my number four, eight and a half, and then three. Tokyo Story. I put Mood for Love number two, mm-hmm. and then Persona, pretty strong number one yeah. for me. Also easily number one. Yeah, I think so.
1: Yeah, I would say that I liked. Um, I don't know, eight and a half in the Mood for Love and Persona were all. I liked all three of them quite a bit Um, John Dielman and Tokyo Story I'd probably say are five and four going up so if I had to pick uh, right now it would probably be eight and a half as my number one then persona then in the mood for love but those could all switch The next time I watch them, yeah,
0: yeah, I I was thinking the same thing with with Tokyo Story and Eight and a Half. You know, Eight and a Half is definitely the more technically accomplished one of the two. Yeah, Um, uh, Tokyo Story doesn't doesn't try for anything like what Eight and a Half tries for. But I just think I connected with Tokyo's Story more. In yeah. Eight and a Half I felt more kind of on the outside looking in, like mm-hmm. one of these characters in, in the mood for love, yeah. talking <laughs>
1: talking to their spouses. I just liked the philosophy and the interaction with the the creative process. I, mm-hmm. that, that's always fascinating to me. So that kind of, th- and, thematically, and, it's interesting. And some of the imagery oh, yeah. in that movie was just The incredible. wildness, yeah. I, I, I like to be surprised from shot to shot, which yeah. all these movies did a good job of that. Except for Jean Dealman. <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't too surprised in Jean Dielman. No, that's by design, was, I think. Yeah, I, I agree. Um, <laughs> so, <clears throat> in the next episode, well, maybe there won't be another episode. We've been doing this for two years.
0: It's been two years. This um, is episode number 130.
1: Is it really? Wow. Yep. 130. So we've tried a lot of things, you know, we, 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 we basically had a great excuse to come hang out and talk about movies and watch the same movies, which is fun. It's kind of a two man club. Um, we haven't really gotten huge listening listener base. We haven't gotten anyone to pay us to do it and life is busy. So the reality sets in a little bit and we're kind of thinking maybe we need to take a hiatus and maybe we'll stop. So if you're, if you're those fans out there. That you love the show and you're, you want to tell us why we need to keep doing it. Or if you have a sponsor who wants to uh, step in, let us know, but we're going to kind of take a break from it and, um, maybe we'll pick it back up later. Maybe this will be the end. I don't know.
0: If we can think of a mini series that excites us, Mm -hmm. then I would love to come back and and do, and do more episodes. If someone would want to pay us, (laughs) I would love to come back. We would do and do more episodes. We would do
1: all the Sonic
0: movies. I would rather not do the Sonic movies, (laughs) but if somebody was paying us, I would. Um, But yeah, I mean, maybe there will be other opportunities to, you know, to cover more movies. We're not going to stop watching or talking about them. So we'll be on social doing more stuff. Um, And until then, we'll be working on solo. Solo. We're going solo. There you go. We're doing solo projects. Working on books,
1: working on our stories.
0: All right. So until next time, maybe there won't be a next time. Signing
1: off. First of all, anybody who's listening, thank you for sharing an hour with us here and there. And thanks to WNZF
0: and the illustrious Mark Gilliland Gilliland. for producing,
1: as always. Thank you, Mark. Um, So, yes, this will be uh, Best Picture This. Signing off.
0: Signing off.